Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. And tonight we're going to look at the journey, Genesis chapter 12. So please open your Bibles there, Genesis chapter 12. Well, you all know that life is a journey. Uh, It's been said that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And in much the same way, that's how our faith is. Our faith is a walk. It's not a run, per se, although there's imagery of races in 1 Corinthians 9, running the race with endurance. But our, our Christian life is described as a walk, and it's a walk of faith. And we walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to talk about that tonight, the journey of faith. Let's pray one more time. Father, it is our desire, Father, that we want to pray a bit of a dangerous prayer right now, that you would search our hearts. And if there's anything in our hearts that's stumbling our walk, uh, taking us on routes that we should not be walking, um, leading our steps anywhere except the path that you have for us. Would you remove that from our hearts and lead us in the everlasting way? David even prayed, Lord, save me from presumptuous sins. Let my heart be clean before you. And when I make a misstep, and I'm certain to do that, uh, quickly prod me back to that right path. The path has already been blazed by Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith and our faith walk. He blazed the trail in his blood. He's already saved us and called us, but Lord, we still need to walk. We still need to respond to the faith once for all delivered to the saints and we're to walk by faith. And so, Tonight, Lord, as we study this great passage, this great section about Abram's journey into Canaan and all that that means, I pray that you would bless our time. pray that you'd speak to us through your Holy Spirit. I pray that application points would jump off the page so that we might hear from you tonight and be more uh, molded into the image of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis 12, look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, Genesis 12, 1, and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Abram's call was to leave everything familiar behind, and that's quite a challenge. Genesis 12, 2 says, and I... There's going to be five I wills by God in this section. You might want to mark them. I will make you a great nation, first promise. Seven promises, five I wills. I will bless you, make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. We talked about the fact that when God blesses us, it's for us to be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you, And the one who curses you, the ESV has dishonors or disdains you, I will curse. And in you, how many? 
All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Satan made five I will statements in Isaiah chapter 14, and he talked about, I will exalt myself. I will ascend. And God said, no, you won't. You won't do it. I'm going to throw you down. But when God makes a promise to us, when he says, I will do something, you can be sure that that promise is going to come to fruition. It's going to come to pass. When God makes a promise, he is always true to his promises. But the point from the promise to the realization is the challenge in life. Because we don't always get right there. We have promises that God has given us, but it's a journey. And sometimes it seems a bit of a winding road to get and realize the promises. And that's what Abram discovered. He's been given a promise that he's going to have this great nation, that he's going to inherit this wonderful land. There's only a couple of problems. One, he doesn't own the land. And two, he doesn't have any offspring to be a great nation. So God's making promises that are not yet realized. And so Abram has to really decide whether he's going to take God at his word. Abram becomes a picture of the believer navigating through this world, living life based upon promises, just passing through a pilgrim, if you will, in this world. And what are we living for? A promise that because I live, you will live also. A promise about salvation, a promise about resurrection, a promise about a new millennial, uh, a new uh, heaven and earth where there will be a millennial reign, where there will be peace, a place where righteousness will dwell. Abram is a picture of every one of us. I haven't seen Jesus yet, but I love him. I've felt him. I've sensed him. I've known his word. I've known his spirit. He has not left me alone. He's not left me an orphan. I have his Holy Spirit as the down payment assuring what's ahead, but I haven't come into the full realization of the promises. And so I'm journeying through this life just like you, but I've banked my eternity on promises that Jesus made. And it's not some blind faith that I have. My, my faith in Christ is based upon a real historical figure named Jesus who rose from the dead in the very history in which we live. We believe that. There's more evidence for the resurrection than for any event in antiquity. You guys heard Charlie Campbell. How many of you heard Charlie Campbell? Seven evidences why you can... Uh, why your Bible is sure and certain. Pretty impressive stuff, isn't it? And he could have spent another couple hours with us. So this document that we study is living. It's alive. 66 books, 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, written by 40-plus authors. But one central theme, because the ultimate author is God, and the message of the Bible is redemption. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We were sold in the sla into the slave market of sin, and we were purchased by his blood. And we're headed into a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where Eden will be in some way restored, where the curse will be lifted. And Abram was walking. 
and he hadn't seen everything. And in fact, he had been given a command that he was just to go and God would show him where the land was and what it was. And all guys say, of course, totally understand that. Just get in the car and we'll figure it out. Amen? All the men said, amen. All the women said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how you do things. It always is a marriage stretching time, isn't it, in the car? It can be just so wonderful. Anyway, so <laughs> seven promises. I will bless those who bless you. And that indeed came true in Abram's life. In fact, we're going to see in this story that Abram's going to go down to Egypt and there's going to be a man, Pharaoh, who tries to manipulate the situation or take his wife and it's not going to be good for Pharaoh. And those who blessed Abram were blessed. And those who disdained or cursed him were cursed. And that promise goes all the way till today to the nation of Israel. Because from Abram's loins comes Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. And through that line comes Jesus. And through him, all the uh, families of the earth are blessed. And so this is how it works now. And the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. And I do not believe that that has changed. And I don't believe that they've been replaced by the church. But I believe that the Bible teaches clearly that he's going to work again in Israel and their eyes are going to be open and they're going to look upon him whom they pierce and they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And so Abram starts the journey. He's given some details, but not a ton. And off he goes. Your faith journey, by the way, is typically going to be like that. It'll be one step at a time. God will just say, trust me with this and I'll show you more. And that's how you got to do it, folks. Uh, God rarely in my life has ever revealed the full plan. He's just said, trust me with the next thing. Trust me with the next thing. And so look at verse four. So Abram went forth. That's what faith does. Faith goes forth. You might want to mark that. You see, faith, the expression of faith is to move. It's to move with God. Faith goes forth. It goes forward. Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. It wasn't some blind going forth. He was obeying God. And Lot went with him and that's uh, Abram's nephew because his dad has died. Lot's dad has died. And Abram stepped in. And Abram, get this, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, before we picture him as an old geezer, remember, he lifespans were still a little longer in these days. And Abram did live, Abraham did live to 175. So this is about middle age or a little less for him, but he's still 75. He's no spring chicken when he sets out for the promised land. And this should give all of us hope because sometimes we think, well, maybe I'm too old to change or maybe I'm too old to respond to that call that God had on my life 
20 years ago. Some of you I know, you're in that position. You felt God kind of tugging at you. You felt like there was a call on your life, and somehow you put it off. And you're wondering now, can that call be realized? Well, remember, in Abram's life, there was a place where he stopped. They were supposed to go into the land of Canaan. Uh, Brandon, you got that slide back there? Oh, he's not even back there. I showed you a map last time, but Oh, there it is. Okay, so remember, he started off near the Persian Gulf on the right. Uh, there, right there. And he journeyed up this way, and this is where he stayed, about the halfway point. But he was supposed to go into the land of Canaan down here on the left. And he stopped here, and he spent years here, and this is where his dad died. So by the time he leaves Haran, He's lost a brother, and he's lost his father. And he's, you know, some people have said that that was an expression of halfway obedience, uh, staying there in Haran. How many Christians do you know that have done a halfway obedience with God? Is that you? They say, I'll, I'll go here, Lord. They start... You ever do this? You start negotiating with God. You'll tell him how far you'll go. God says, I want you over here. And you go, well, can I stick my toe in the water and see how it feels? I only go in if it's 86 degrees. Really? <laughs> and so Abram had a time in his life when he seemed to park as well. He wasn't fully obedient to the Lord. And yet, when he celebrated in Romans 4 and Hebrews 11, he celebrated as a man of faith. None of his foibles are mentioned there. None of his uh, times when he parked or maybe hesitated. Isn't that good news for you and me? That God celebrates our faith even sometimes when maybe we are not ready to give everything we have. And so he went forth, Lot was with him, he departed from Haran, and it was time for him to trust God. He went forth, God told him, go forth, verse 1, chapter 12, he went forth, and I just want to give you something from my notes. We find that faith is a call, it is a response, and it is a journey. Faith begins with a call, you must respond to that call. And then it's the beginning of a journey. Faith is not just about agreement to a set of facts. Faith is not just about a set of ideals that you say, I'll embrace these if this is the Christian way. Faith is relational trust. You might want to write that down. Faith always springs from a relationship. In fact, we say in the Christian church that if you want to walk with the Lord, it's got to start with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to realize that he paid for your sin and he died on the cross and that's the only way you can be saved as a gift. But then the rest of your life is about relational trust. And any relationship that you and I have on a human level gets developed over time. You learn to trust more as you journey on in life with somebody. And God is eminently trustworthy, we know that. 
But that relationship of trust still builds on a spiritual plane. And so there's a call, there's a response, and you must respond if you're being called. You got to go if God's calling you to go. It's a journey. It's going to be a pathway over time, and it's relational trust. I want to show you something in the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So just turn to your right a little bit. Numbers 32. By the way, Moses penned the first five books of the Old Testament, and Numbers is one of them. Numbers 32. Look at verse 11 with me. Numbers 32, verse 11. It says, none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward, 3211, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not, what? Follow me fully, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have followed the Lord fully. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Only two men followed the Lord fully of that generation. Two. And scholars believe that there was more than a million of them that left Egypt. And there was two men who followed the Lord fully. There's an old quote, it's bounced around the church for quite some time, that the world is yet to see what God can do through a man or a woman whose heart is fully sold out to God. And I realize even in my own life, being a pastor, studying the Bible, preaching the gospel regularly, that still my heart tends towards halfway obedience. It can be more comfortable there. It's, it's a little easier to hang out in Haran sometimes than go into Canaan and face uncertain things. And, and one, one thing that we know about the land is that there were giants in the land and it wasn't a difficult place for conquest. The fact is that the land that was promised to Abram already belonged to other people. He was going to have to Watch this progress over time. And in fact, we know from the unfolding of the Bible that he never really realized even a parcel of land. He was just simply passing through. He lived in tents, which is a symbol of, of impermanence. The only thing that I think that he ever really owned was the uh, area of the tomb or the graveyard uh, for Sarah. It says of King Solomon, David's son, that he did not follow the Lord fully in 1 Kings 11.6, as David, his father, had done. That tells me that David following the Lord fully did not mean that David didn't make mistakes. Get that out of your head right now. Because if you believe that following the Lord fully means you'll be sinless, you're wrong. That's never going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. But following the Lord fully is about your heart. It's about what you want to do to honor the Lord. And the way that Solomon got hung up is by 
the many women that he brought into his life, and he, in order to appease them, he built high places for them, and he dishonored God. And God was mad at Solomon, even though Solomon asked for wisdom and was given wisdom, yet he made some huge blunders. And I just want to ask you a question. This is an application question. As you turn to Hebrews 11, turn to Hebrews 11. There's going to be a day when your, your walk with the Lord is going to be assessed. Not for salvation, but for a reward. And heaven's going to know how fully you followed. Amen? Everything's going to be open on that day. God knows. This is not about perfection, but this is about direction. This is about what kind of Christian do you want to be? A quarter of the way, halfway. What do you want to do? Do you want to walk into the promises or not? Do you want to be used by God in a major way or not? In Hebrews 11, it says, and by the way, the longest section in this great celebrated hall of faith, the longest section belongs to Abraham. Four times it says he did something by faith. It starts in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Abraham, Hebrews 11, 8, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You can, guys, you can show that to your wife now. Just mark that verse. By faith, he lived as an alien or a pilgrim in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. He was a foreigner when he went in there dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see, Abraham wasn't just focused on Canaan. He was focused on something much greater, much more significant. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Our culture tells us that we need to hunker down. We need to set up uh, characteristics of permanence. We need a home, maybe a second home. We need to plan our roots deep. And some of you who moved a lot as a kid, you know the value of that. My wife moved many times growing up because her uh, dad was uh, serving in the military. And so she didn't know a whole lot of permanence. So now we've been in the same home for 20 years, and she really appreciates that, and she doesn't want to go anywhere. <laughs> and so we try to set up all this stuff about permanence, and we want to settle, and we, and we, we want to plan for retirement, and we want to, you know, we want to do all the right things, and, and that's totally understandable. But we're doing all that in a place where the one thing we know for sure is that it's impermanent. The message of the world is to set up your stuff and make sure you got it all together. And then Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, and then you're going to give it to somebody else when you die and you don't know what they're going to do with it. So you spend your life amassing wealth and amassing this and that. 
and the one thing that you know for sure is you're going to leave it for somebody else and then they're going to leave it to somebody else. And in some cases, people leave their stuff to the government because they don't do proper paperwork. Oops. And so we have all this drive and, and we're doing this in a world where we know we're not going to last. As we pick up the story in Genesis 12 about the Lord's call to Abram, we can see a real step of faith by Abram. You know, he's, he's called to go to a place that he's really not seen, and he's, he's called to trust the Lord. And the, the chapter really opens with, go forth, you know, leave this place, I'm going to show you the land, and then this great blessing section. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to notice the repetition of the word blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. That's what we are as Christians. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we've been blessed to be a blessing. You know, sometimes in the modern church, you get the idea that, you know, it's a consumer mentality and we go to church to see how we can get blessed. And it's true, we wanna be fed and I think we get blessed in the worship and we get blessed with the teaching of the word of God. And I think churches, the heart of churches is to bless the people, but we also want to be a blessing. So can I ask you tonight, as you're listening to the radio, or you may be listening in the morning, in what way are you being a blessing? Uh, we're supposed to leave behind the blessing. We're supposed to pray for the blessing. Uh, you know, Jesus said, it's recorded in the book of Acts in chapter 20, recording Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, it is interesting, when we decide to be a blessing for others, we get a blessing back. But there's something else here, and it's something that's, I think, the most important thing in the Christian life. We've been called, really, to bless the Lord. And you might ask the question, well, how can you bless the Lord? Well, it's in this way. It's as you honor him with your life, as you praise him with your lips, you can bless the Lord. You can honor his name. You can live out uh, what you've been called to be. And you've been called into the blessedness of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's nothing like it anywhere. But that blessing can overflow in your life. It can be a blessing that goes out to others. As the Lord blesses you, you give the blessing away. You know, we, in our culture, when someone sneezes, we say, God bless you. And, you know, I sometimes wonder if it's just said as kind of a, you know, a cultural thing that we have to say. But we want to we wanna give the blessing to people whenever we can. And when we call upon the Lord, when we invoke his name to bless, you know, that's a pretty serious thing. And, and the Lord takes it seriously. And I think he does want to honor that as well. We're blessed to be a blessing. So how are you doing with that? Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.